Welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast with myself, Roy Shanahan, and as always, the BigKickoff.com's Nathan Doyle. And tonight, we're joined by former Longford, Drogheda, Shamrock Rovers and Shelbourne centre-back, Graeme Gartland. Graeme, welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast. Hey, Roy. Hey, Nathan. How are you? Brilliant. Now, I want to congratulate you, first of all, on your new role as head of orienteering for Shamrock Rovers. Uh, you're, getting up, you're getting up to them trees and mountains quite a bit now. Uh, how did the clear the head videos come from? Where did the idea come from? Um, it sort of evolved, uh, Roy, a bit because I had spoke to Mark Lynch about um, maybe doing something a little bit different last year, and Mark said, "Listen, just park it for a while. We see where we're at." And then um, a lad called Barry Barry McCarthy came in, um, uh, who would who had volunteered to help. Um, he walks. He does. He does some work with Sky. And he had um, said he had the idea was to do to go for a walk, and and I, my idea was a little bit different. So uh, uh, he probably put it together, and then Mark Lynch, who, who does all the media stuff for Shamrock Rovers, he just said I've the guy to do it, and we he put he put the two of us together. I was like, yeah, great, that's exactly something I was looking for. So it. it it ended up being better than I thought it was going to be, because um, what happens is the players, it, they feel they're just talking to another player. Yeah. And what happens is, you know this because your your industry, you're asking questions, and I just have to. They they look at me as if sure you know, and I'll go yeah, and then when <laughs> I ask them a question that they know what I'm asking and they know what I'm getting at, and they go yeah yeah, like and 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 it flows then that way where you know I'm not. Um, coming at it from a, a different angle of I'm trying to get something out of them that's not there or try and push them and it's been brilliant I have to say they've been really really enjoyable um, I've done Pico Lopez was the first one and it was brilliant because uh, I'd have a lot of time for Pico and then Lee Grace Lee Grace was very intense and, and, I, and he had an intenseness about him that I actually liked I was walking with him thinking yeah I'd like that uh, from a defender I'm thinking I'd like that from him are you seeing then, something different than you would normally if you were chatting to them? Is it, are they oh, letting down they barriers? Yeah. They are, yeah, Roy. Right. They're, they're sort of going, or I never thought of it like this, but this is why I'm this way. I've, 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 like Lee Grace was talking about the structure in his life and how he likes to have things planned and how that causes trouble with him and his missus. But he's sort of understanding that. But that's because I was in the army. But then they're talking about the disappointments when they were younger, that people just think, Football life's great. Like I, I think, Lope, uh, Pico Lopez spoke about how he was trying to get a mortgage and how he yeah. found that tough. And everybody, Nathan, you're probably that age where like everybody's going through that at the minute. So you're able to go. Do you know what? I'm actually going through that as well, Pico. But even though you're a footballer, you're not immune to that. And that's the bit that makes them more relatable. That you wouldn't get that out of an interview, or you wouldn't get that out of you know, coming on and talking tactics about the game. And I think sometimes footballers actually want to talk about that stuff and go, you know what, I, I couldn't even get card insurance because I was playing football. Yeah. You know, yeah. that everybody looks in and sees this great life, but underneath it all, they're actually trying so hard to 
keep on that route and keep on that path and be the best he can be every week and still try and have problems that people think, oh, they don't have the same problems as me. Well, in fact, they do. Yeah. But they're still trying to perform every week on a, on a Friday. And the same as people are still trying to perform every day, going to work and trying to get a mortgage or trying to get car insurance and etc. So I think it's made them more relatable, which is a good thing. I think people look in and think, no, I, I, I relate to what they're going through. And, so I think in that sense it's been good, Roy. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I just, it, yeah, definitely. It's, it was yeah. one thing that I didn't think about was the mortgage. You know, especially because yeah. we all knew about you know sometimes the forty-two week contracts or even a year contract, but never thought about that in, in in that. So that opened my eyes a little bit. You know, even though there's longer contracts going out there now, you know, your two, three, four years, still the banks are seeing it a different way than, than what we would see it you know and I mean I'm not guaranteed or anyone else is guaranteed in their job to keep their job for life either but it, there's a little bit more uh, a little bit more secure than, than what a footballer is do you think the idea was for the walk through the woods was inspired by the, the Roy Keane Gary Neville thing because that kind of was the first thing that I thought I was like ah oh, yeah maybe this is what this is, is, is all about I think Gary Neville does it around about where people are comfortable doing it. So yeah. I know he's done Declan Rice in his estate. He's done, right. he done Roy Keane going for a walk with his dog, which is where Roy would be most comfortable. He done Carragher walking around Bottle or something. Uh, so yeah. he's more comfortable there. So the reason the Hellfire Club was picked was because it overlooks the whole of Tala and a lot of people use the Jordan Covid to walk and do and clear their head up there. And, and it gave that sense of you were, you were trying to reach something. So when you got to the top, you could see the view of Tala and it linked the whole thing together. And in fairness to the likes of, the likes of Jack, I think Jack, I had Jack up there yesterday. And Jack was like, I've never been up here. And when he got up to the top, he was like, I've never seen this before. And you can see everything. And, he, and then he's pointing out, look, there's, and I'm showing him, like, there's Tala Stadium. And he's able to go, oh, there's Rings End. So I'd be about there. You know, so, but it, the best way of describing it is probably saying, oh, it's a bit like the Gary Neville one. Now, I don't have a script or I don't have a phone. No. I read the questions off, but I know enough about them going in that I'm able to then steer it. But I, I basically say to them, this goes wherever you want it to go and wherever you want to talk about, you talk about. Whatever you don't want to talk about, you don't talk about. This is purely to make you feel comfortable and show a side of you that's different in that you're not being asked, how did you feel about the game? What did you think? What how did the, what the manager say? Et cetera, et cetera. They're able to show that human side to them. And some of the stuff Jack said was unbelievable yesterday. Like, it was brilliant. I was looking. Some of the stuff Pico, Pico said to me, I could have, could have done another hour with you. Yeah. Um, because they're talking to somebody that's gone through it and knows the struggle and knows the hardship. And like you said, the, the struggle to sometimes put your first foot down in the morning because you know it's going to sting and you know you have to walk and get through it and, or, or you know how you pick yourself up after a defeat or all these setbacks that people think people think that a football's journey is that way and I've done a talk for a, gr- a group of kids and I, I asked them what, what do you see when you look at me and he said well you're this or you're that and I went well I've actually had more failures than I've had successes but I'm still here so you consider you consider that a success, like you know. Yeah, yeah. And so when you when you look at obviously you had an idea that you wanted to 
to talk about, I suppose it's mental health, really, because... No, Barry, I think Barry, Barry would have had that. Barry brought that bit to life. Brought back that in. I, okay. I had a bit where I wanted to talk to them about their journey and how they got here, because I wanted to... I wanted the kids in the academy and the kids I was coaching to understand that they went through tough times and that's the, and our, they had a struggle to get to where they are as well. So Barry had brought in the fact that it might be a mental health thing and then Mark, it, Mark Lynch. So it was really Barry's concept of doing the Hellfire Club. It was Barry's concept of doing the walk. I was the one that said, oh, I'd have no problem sitting down and talking to these players. So when, when Barry suggested that idea... Mark said to him, well, I have the man for you that would do it. Yeah. And the players would have been comfortable enough because they see me around the club as well. So that helps too, you know. What's the plan? Especially to go through the, the whole squad or, or, or where does it go? It's a good question. I don't, I don't think we'll go through the whole squad, no. I think there's certain lads that I mightn't be for and that's that's fair enough. Um on, there might be, so, might be some there itching to just get some stuff yeah. off their chest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying to you. Like people that you mightn't expect. Like like yeah. Jack was like a, Jack's episode could have been an hour and a half long. So could Pico's. Where Lee Grace was like, "This is my story. I'm gonna go with it." And he walked me. He, he marched me up the hill, and he was. We didn't stop, and we just kept going. And he was great, and he was really good. But then afterwards, I thought they're asking me things on the way down. What did you do? What happened with you? That stuff isn't on air, but they're asking me then. I don't... I mentioned, like, I have to be careful as well, Roy, because I'm asking them the questions, but I'm asking it from a, a relatable background, so I don't want to then go, oh, I, I, like, just very... I sometimes re- make a relatable, so I go, listen, I went through that. I had that as well. So Lee Grace was saying about how he, he didn't get picked for the Kennedy Cup, and I said, neither did I. So he then goes, oh, you know, you know what that's like. And I went, yeah. Then Pico Lopez is saying he went away. He he was playing late and wanted to stay. And I says, I was similar. And he used to get two buses over to play for home farm. And I said, so did I. So he then goes, oh, that's relatable. And so they, they then know what you've been through. So then they share more. Um, but I, I sometimes go, it's not about me. But but I'm, I'm giving it that snippet so that you feel... Oh, but you understand, so now I can tell you more. So that that type of thing. But where it goes is, it goes to the players that that want to do it, and it might go to some staff and some 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 staff that are involved in the club in terms of through the academy as well. That might interest people and 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 their story and why their story is. Then you can put it then in front of the the younger players that are coming through, and I know. Obviously, your connections with Luke, and then you're able to go look. You you can have you can go there because we, we work with, with Luke and as well as yeah. as, as Shamrock Rovers. So that's the type of stuff. I don't think there's like if you got two if you got two years if you can do it for two years where you get you know a, a good group of it, it can. But it's just to make people talk and realise that footballers aren't robots neither and they have a they have a say in things and they have opinions on things. Like Lee Grace and Pico told a completely different story about how they ended up being a centre back. Yeah. Both of them ended up centre back, you know, yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's great. I haven't seen Liz yet, and I'm going to watch that. I've watched Picos, um, so I'm 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 going to be interested. I took a little quick snippet of 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 Liz, and I got that intensity feeling yeah. from it. The, the and that was only about 
one minute that I watched. So uh, yeah, it's 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 enthralling because it, it, football is all about characters and personalities. And while we talk about uh, skills and you know uh, you know talent, it's personalities and and and, and that, that that creates a player, that moulds a player, and then defines how far that player goes as well. So again, when we look at when you talk about the, the mental health side of things, um, forming your personality and, ta- and talking to other people, uh, talking to other people f- forms your personality and probably will help and guide you to be make stronger decisions as you go through your football career. As you said, those lads are bouncing off you and they're going, all oh, right, yeah, and that's what happened to Graham. And, and you know, maybe that doesn't happen to happen to me because, you know, he said this or he said that. So, it's pro- it, listen, as they say, it's good to talk, isn't it? Yeah, like again, it's just to make them comfortable that they're able to, and it's their story. It's nobody else. It doesn't doesn't have. There's no right or wrong in it. Like whatever whatever journey they've been on to get where they're all playing in the same team at the moment, that's the journey they're on. Like whether it's somebody coming back from somewhere or somebody building up to somewhere, they're both at that crossroads in that group together. So again, you know. I've always felt, see, when you're talking about talent, and I always think dedication is a talent that, that probably gets overlooked, but where people, because it's not a, it's not something that you see them do with a football, where you go, like, you, you, like again, we're talking to Jack about it. Jack was talking about being a street footballer, and he says it, it's a good thing and a bad thing because they make out that you, you play like there's nothing. Not nobody, nothing matters because you're playing on the street. And I was going, I didn't grow up playing like that in the street. I I grew up playing on the street, but every game mattered when you played on the street because you're playing against your brothers or you're playing against someone around the corner that if you lost, they were going to tell you you lost. So this idea that street football is played with a freedom that the, the score didn't matter, it did. And he says, yeah. And he was going, yeah, I like that's what I grew up with that. The street games were intense, so I play because it matters. Like and, and and that type of conversation that you know the dedication that like Pico and and, and uh, Lee Grace have to play their type of football, which is I have to be ready all the time, I have to be dedicated, I have to walk in the gym, I have to do all that stuff. Jack does all that, but then Jack will dedicate his game to being creative. Yeah. And he's like, listen, I have to make this team tick. So the difference in his his um, sort of pressure comes is that I have to be the one to be the difference for my team. Lee Grace and, and Pico are the thing, and I have to be the ones that drive the team. Yeah. So and, and there's different, and how do you handle that? That's the to me that that was always fascinating to me. I would sit and talk to footballers all day, like even even going back to meeting different ones throughout the course of my career and everything I've done, or even as a coach when I went to Scotland and you meet all these personalities and these people come into the club and sit and talk to you, I would sit and ask them questions. What was he like? Why did you do that? Why did you do that? And it was like, because the way I look at it was, I was probably a, a bit of a football fan first. I just loved it. Like, would have watched old Leeds games with my dad. I would have watched Liverpool in the eighties. I would have watched all the World Cups for Ireland. Would have came up just watching old videos of games because when Liverpool started struggling, you end up going back and watching them when you were winning stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you started watching all that, you know, like who's, I, could, I could tell you, I like 
the Gleish scored in the European Cup, Kennedy scored, you know, the penalties, all that. So I had all that knowledge because I just couldn't handle Liverpool not winning during the 90s. So I used to go back and watch videos. So that stuff, you know, like Sooness, I would have loved Sooness. And then, like, you know, them types of... Johnny Giles was a big hero of my dad, so I grew up watching him a lot. Like, so when I, whenever I got around footballers, sometimes I'd be a bit busy, but I just pick their brains and ask them questions, and this gives me a great chance to do it. Like, so I'm yeah. probably lucky and in the element a little bit here, you know. You're a co-commentator as well. How yeah. how do you how do you feel about that? First of all, how do you what have you learned and and do you enjoy it? First of all, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I enjoy it when the, especially when the games are good. I really enjoy it. Everybody enjoys watching a good game. I, I, I probably would have watched the games. And anyway, um, they asked me last year, last summer, I think. Um, Shane Robinson had done a couple of games, and then he had said, "You know what? Graham's home, and my wife and kids were still in Scotland, and I had nothing. I had really nothing on. So it was like." You want to have a? I went down. I ended up working with some great people. Con Murphy is brilliant, um, and he's he worked well together. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah and in fairness to Con, like Con coached me a lot for the first month. Uh, small little pointers that now we just end up talking together. Um, and then Des Corden came in for a little bit, and that was good because Des gave me a few as well. Um, I I try and look at it from a coach's point of view. I think that's the difference with. I, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm this way or that way, but I, I Con, I speak to Con afterwards, and a few of the, the other lads would say that like you're, you're talking about the the patterns in the game and the, and the, how momentum changes on certain things, and and he says, would you be? But that's the way I'd look at the game as a coach and say, right, how do I counteract what they're doing, or how do I, right, this is what's causing Sligo trouble. This yeah. is why they're struggling. And then Khan sometimes goes, well, what can they do? And I go, well, there's two things. I go, you can either do this or this. And you give that bit of insight. And then sometimes you're just commenting on what you see and that it's a lovely bit of skill or, and, and that type of stuff. So I always, I'm always, be, I've always been analytical watching, I just explained why. I've always been analytical watching football and seeing, um, and even like, even watching games back, it's funny. I remember what, I watched the game back. I think I got, I think it was about, 2007, 2008, we were playing, we were doing really well at Drotter at the time, I think we had just won the league. And I went back and watched the semi-final that we played, Bray. And in the game, I thought, I thought I'd done great. I was like, I got stitches, got <laughs> stitches here, stitches here, loads of head knocks, Vaseline, like proper thought, this is Colin Hendry stuff here, like, you know, right? And I thought, I just played well, played right side of centre back. We got into the final and I watched the game back and I was I was looking back thinking, you said, what are you doing? Like some of the stuff we've done in the game that but at the time I was in the moment thinking, Yeah, I'm, I'm having a great game. <laughs> I remember looking back going, What are you doing, Graham? Like take a touch there or play him or like head that to your full back or like knock that back to your goalkeeper. I thought I had a great game. So looking back, I was like, geez, I wasn't that, I didn't play that well as I thought I did. But And had you not watched yourself really before that sort of game, like much? Or is this kind of your first eye-opener to, hold on, I should actually watch myself a little bit more now and no, be a little I, I bit more watch, analytical? 
Yeah, maybe. I used to watch myself, but again, I had moved on. My expectations of myself had moved on by then. When I was looking back, I was I think I was 22 playing in that game. So I look back on ah, here, like, you know, you, I, I was more of a, I've moved, I've moved on from that. But we we were very analytical at, at Drotter because of Paul. Paul would have made us watch videos religiously and the, and the video sessions would have been long. Um, and then until the point where we, we, we were able to say to him, listen, we need, this needs to be streamlined and we trained us to Paul, he took that on board. But yeah, we, we you, you you watch I even sometimes struggle to listen to myself back sometimes, but I force myself to go um and get through it so that I pick up stuff that I'm making sure I don't have any ticks or making sure I don't have a constant need to say certain things. Like sometimes I, I listen back and I go I can I can feel myself thinking as the as I'm commentating and I'm like and I'm listening back going, get it out, Graham, come on, I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. I'm trying to explain something, but the pictures are moving and then I'm like, I need to hurry this up and it doesn't come out as well. So stuff like that I need to be better at and I need to just be I need to be a bit more polished. But do you know what? I think sometimes people just want you to say what you see and, and be the way I am and if there's mistakes that we make, I think I call them out pretty quick and that that was us. That was my fault. Where yeah. I'm not going to hide I think, it. I think when when I when I've listened to you commentate uh, or co-commentate, I think that it, it works well the two of you because, as you said, uh, he's doing the commentating. He's setting it up for you to uh, analyze and to give the viewers some information on what could happen, what should happen, maybe, or what did happen. Uh, yeah. So I think it works well. Yeah. I think what you're discussing there now is just something that's uh, again. Uh, you're analysing yourself and you will always ha- it's like looking at old pictures there's pit- some pictures you just will never like and people will tell you it's great you know and I could tell you that that bit of commentary was the best bit of commentary ever and there's one little bit in that commentary that you'll hate for the rest of your life and you just can't do anything about it so yeah. you, you, you have to accept the overall thing of generally you're doing doing a good job at it so uh, always try and improve but uh, don't be too don't be too self-critical on yourself because uh you'll go down the other side of the hill where yeah. you'll, you'll, you'll start making you mistakes. End not say, you end up not saying anything. Not saying anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Just while we're talking about that for the second, um, so is, is that something you sounds like you're really good at is self-reflection. Um, how important would, you, would that be for you as a coach in terms of reflecting your performance as, as uh, in your coaching capacity? Because that's obviously a really important aspect of coaching. Yeah, like, I, like I, I, may, I, I tell you what, I tell you a story that we had and, it, and it, again, it's been able to spot it. Um, so I think a couple of weeks ago we had a game and there was a young lad that was at Luke and he's only 17. I think he was playing at Luke but he helps out with the under eights. He was coaching with Aiden and, and, and another lad as well. Yeah. And I said to him, come on in and help and with the 14s National League side. And he was like, you sure? I was like, yeah, come on. I'm sure coaches, come on. See what you, see what you take from like just... Just come in and see what you think, because it's it'll be six years. So it says, see what you're doing and how it affects what what you do. Older, to be honest, I needed a hand, and and it was good for him that you, I says you're gonna stay and watch. And I says, come on, then don't stand. And he came over and it was great. And one of the things happened right in front of the dugout where I'm talking to one of our players, and I'm like, I can see the pass before he receives it. I'm then telling him he's on. Bend it. Now he makes the lad that doesn't hit the pass really well, and it's not great. 
And I was torn to the, the lad, I think it's Aiden. Aiden Duffy, him. yeah. Aiden yeah. Duffy. It's Aiden. And I turned to him and I says, and he's like, looking. And I went, that's my fault. And he went, how's your fault? And I've gone, because I've basically given him direct instruction on, on what I've seen. I've seen it. The kid needs to see it. And the kid needs to then realize what type of pass to play. So I said, that's my fault. And I have, so then he came in, I was talking to him on Monday and he said, yeah, do you know what? I caught myself doing that at the weekend where I'm giving direct instructions. So I'm saying, shoot, pass. And it might be on for the kids to do that. But so you have to then change, instead of giving direct instructions to kids, you go, right, what's on? What can you do? You know, and, and you change that. But it's a really good question, Nathan. I would have... I've changed the, me, the way I've probably approached coaching with kids because when you come out playing, you, you have your ego as I'm a player and the kids all play. And I know the, I'd always had a great relationship with the groups I coached. But what happened was if I left that group, they'd probably dip a little bit. And I thought, I was thinking, oh, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. Like, so my, my thing is I, I try and make every group coachable for every coach that comes in after me. I try and make them be as hungry and as driven for themselves and not to just impress me. Um, I try and make them feel as good about themselves as they can and then I give them information. So I, again, it's all about it's all about them and that's probably changed from when I first started coaching at 32 and I thought, yeah, here we go, I've just retired, I'm going to show, I'm going to change the world as a coach. I've then realised I need to change the world, I need to change them and try and make them believe in themselves more so in terms of reflecting yeah after defeats after victories you reflect but I think the biggest thing for coaches are your players happy to see it are they looking forward to showing you how good they are and that's the bit you want to inspire children because when you leave them you want that same attitude and that same desire to be what they want to be, to carry on whether they're, whether they're with you as a coach or not, regardless. Like, so when people ask me, why, why do you have build these relationships with kids and why do you have that um, rapport with kids that you can grab gather a group, it's because I, I make it about them. And that yeah. sounds silly because I'm here talking about it, but I do, like, you know. It is. It's one, it's one of the things you have to do as a coach to learn to be a coach is to remember that now you're 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 over. It's it's about them now, and you, you've had your playing time, and 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 it's the ability to be able to, as you said, develop them in whatever manner that uh, is needed. You're still doing a bit of coaching up there. I won't go on too much about your coaching now because we will be up to the hour mark, and we'd be struggling to get at else in. So we're going to go straight on to the League of Ireland. Nathan, uh, Derry are sitting top of the table on fourteen points. Uh, the top four has kind of formed itself a little bit. Derry, Sligo, St Pat's, and Shamrock Rovers. Uh, after six games, seven games, what have you made of it so far, Nathan? Yeah, I think uh, if if we're looking at the top four, like we probably all, a lot of us would have said Derry City, St. Pat's Rovers, wouldn't we in there? Maybe Dundalk. I think for me, Sligo Rovers, I know I've said it a few times here, Roy, uh, they've been the surprise package for me, sitting in second place, um, two points behind Derry City. Uh, they, it was probably disappointed to come out with Halle, uh with a draw, you know, it's been 2-0 up, but... 
if you look at the second half performance now Graham you could probably back up on this it, it was all Shamrock Rovers uh, really with that one um, so yeah if I was looking at the title push I think Sligo would be the one for me just more so considering the the squad that was coming into the season I think the squad deteriorated uh, compared to last year so you're losing John Matten and Johnny Kenny was always going to be big uh, to replace in fairness this guy that he have uh, Nando uh, I'm not even going to attempt to butcher the guy's second name sorry about that um, he came from New Zealand Dear good man, Graham. That's why you're the professional and I'm not yeah. play. <laughs> I made a, a ball to that in the first half. <laughs> I just, as soon as I seen the sign, I said, that was it. It's Nando. Yeah, it's Nando. You can pronounce that pretty well. Yeah. Good man. I bet I get that down. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, they've been a fight for Pac Family, lads, I have to say, uh, in the title chase. Whether they can sustain it or not, I'm not too sure. I don't think overall the squad quality is there. You can even see uh, Ed McGinty went down with an illness. He was out for two games, even though Richard Bush came in and done a good job. Yeah, I think they will be lacking uh, in depth when it comes into the European runs and things like that. Yeah, uh, Graham, when you look at the likes of Dundalk and Bowes, I can't even say sitting in the mid-table because they're not too far off um, the bottom couple. There's a bit of a gap there between... What's Bo's problem? Is it just a constant change in the in the dressing room every year? It can't, it can't help. Keith Long, I think, is there now eight years. They haven't won a trophy, but you, you couldn't really put that down to him because the, the, the team has changed so much every year. Yeah, it, like you said, it's hard to build consistency and continuity when all your best players every year go out the door like and then as a player if you're sitting in that dressing room as one of the players who thinks Do you know what i'm a good player as well and they're all gone your eye then goes i need to go and yeah. and, I, and it's not because you're yourself it's not a selfish thing but it's like and in fairness full credit to dawson the because he, he stayed when he probably had a chance to go he's thinking right i'll get away here but it, it, it's when you're constantly seeing quality leave. You're like, well, hold on, what are we doing here? What are we building? What, like, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to be successful? Or are these just going to keep going? And that, and that can lead to a little bit of unrest as well. I watched them against Rovers last week and uh, in the game. And they, they, I didn't think they were great in the game at all. I, I, and I actually said to, I was talking to Stephen afterwards and, Rowers probably weren't at their best neither, but they won one nil and they won comfortably. And and I was looking, thinking, Bowes didn't really lay glove on them, and and was they did no they played sort of a three up top with two really wide wingers, and and one lad up front. And if it's I think it was Cassidy that played up front because Promise Omichair was right. was um, was suspended, and they just lacked a lot of support to him. And I thought you're going to play one up front. But with wingers that wide, you probably need to attack a midfielders that are going to run through them gaps. You didn't have Anton going in behind. I think they got in behind once and they were uh, looking for a penalty. But I think they're giving away goals as well. I think they look a bit sloppy defensively at times. Like um, the, 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 the one shining light is, is Promise Almachia. And, and, if, and if you don't get him fired, and I know he scored three goals this season, but they're putting a lot on him. Um, I do think Liam Bort and Ali Cook, if you play, make a difference. But again, they're just losing too many players every year. And it's just a hard one to then build momentum going into next season. Normally, when you have a good season, you add you add somebody, you add one or two. And the ones that aren't playing are maybe unhappy. They're the ones that leave. And you add quality because you go, right, we're going again. It's the opposite with balls. And it's very hard then for them to get momentum to build up into next season where they're, 
you're nearly dreading going into the year instead of looking forward to it. Like yeah. I was looking there before we came on. They've only kept one clean sheet in the last 18 league games, which is yeah. crazy, the team from both sides. And I do agree with you. From what I've seen of the Dublin Derby, they missed promise big time up top. They really, really did. And as well, someone that, that was a bit of pressure on this season for them is probably Stephen Mallon, isn't it? He was extremely unlucky last season with injury and they'd be looking at the likes of Stephen to come in and, and they fill up the goal gap that the likes of Ross Tierney and Georgie Kelly left. Yeah, they need goals from midfield here because... Like you said, promised to score a lot of goals, and like Ali Cute needs to chip in with them. He's playing; he was playing off the front against Rovers. Liam Bort did chip in with a few, like um. So they do need goals from other areas, but I just don't know where they're going to come from. Stevie Mallon done well, and he has moments in the game where you think oh, he's really good. But he played him as an out and out left left winger against, and when you're up against, I think he was up against Sean Hoare. You're not running Sean Hoare. So now on the outside, so now you have to move him to try and get him into the game. He drifted, does little, little bits of moments, but there's not enough goal threat then. So he does need to. I know he, I know he scored a good goal against St. Pat's, but he does need to maybe. That was a mistake, a really bad mistake from the fullback Scott. But he does need to maybe chip in with more goals, but even more assists as well. So, I, like, I actually thought he started the season all right, and now he's just dipped a little bit now. Yeah. One result from last week, Finn Harps beating Shells 3-0. Over the last couple of times that Finn Harps have won by more than three goals, that team was relegated um, and uh, this is probably not a good thing for Shelbourne, but there's a lot of quality in the Shelbourne side. And when you look at UCD, Finn Harps, Drogheda and Shelbourne, you think, right, there's going to be a little bit of a battle here. You've managed or been assistant manager up at Dundee, uh, Graeme, how is it coaching and managing when expectations aren't as high as, say, the likes of Derry City and Shamrock Rovers? When you go into a situation like that week in, week out, how how different is it than going, say, you're going into Shamrock Rovers where there's a, a huge positivity every week because results are tumbling along nicely? Yeah, like I remember even being, as a player, talking to the assistant manager who was at St. Johnson and... and, and where you you nearly try and park your Saturday performance on on, on the Sunday and then like go you know come in up be on the Monday ready to go again where you 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 you'd obviously go through your video and fix stuff that was wrong but it was always you always had a positivity about him and I thought right and I know you asked him that like why and he's like listen if, if we were if we were on the floor and hammerages every time you lost as a team that was just promoted. You said never got off the floor, so there is an element of right. We need to be upbeat come a Monday, you know. Like I, I like going back to coaching Dundee. Like we we go and play well against Celtic and lose one nil. Uh, we can't berate our lads on a Monday. It was about raising standards to have this thing of your attitude and your application to perform has to be there. And whatever happens on this on the Saturday, if that's there, you can work on it. I think. Um, if if that isn't there, um, and you're only you, then you become too erratic in your performances. Um, so I've I've always thought that about Finn Harps that he always worked hard and he tried and and then they, they bring a result there was somewhere and it'd be good for them. But I don't think they ever let themselves get too low about stuff, and that's why they're, they're able to go and obviously go to shells and produce a result. Um, but again, I think I think that. 
I think they looked a little bit more fired up for that one because Shells had probably taken a few of their players. I think they'd taken three of their players, Coyle, yeah. Sean Boyd, and I missed another one, but I know they... So it might have been like, well, we're going to show you. Like, and, I, and I think they went with that little bit of fire in their belly to say, well, no, like we use our own yoke. We've been in this league a long time. We took some of our players, but we're going to show you. And it looked like they did. Now, I think Shells were a little bit wasteful in the first half. They had two chances that they maybe should have hit the target with and didn't. Um, but then Finn Harps run out easy winners. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, just today we heard about Galway and a possible takeover yeah. bid. They're sitting uh, joint top, I suppose we can say, because Cork have made a great start to the season. We've seen what happened at Derry City when there's been a bit of a change. Uh, this possible at Galway? Obviously, they want to keep the club in supporters' hands, but so they've a bit of a tough decision up there, don't they? They do, yeah, really. Uh, just a bit of the background on that is that Gory United members uh, will vote next week uh, on a proposed takeover by Coma Group, which is a billion pound, uh, billion pound, billion euro, look at me, billion euro property company. Uh, now, the founders of Coma uh, Group uh, are brothers Luke and Brian. They've they've supplied a six-figure uh, funding to Galway now for a couple of years as part of a sponsorship deal. Um, but now they're looking to seek 85% ownership of the club. Like I said, Roy, big decision to make. That meeting is going to go ahead now. Uh, next Wednesday, I think it's the 30th of March. Um, well, we've seen this a lot before, lads, haven't we? And even like this year, like you said, Roy, uh, we've seen that Derry City, um, Shelbourne as well, have been told that it's been improved investment in the club. And it's 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 always quite difficult to get excited by this one. But I think if we break it down and look at this, it's... Um, these these two guys, Luke and Brian, they're, they're from Galway. They've in the past, like I said, they've offered what is critical uh, financial aid to Galway. Uh, they have a planned academy facility uh, that that's in the pipeline for Atten Roy. Again, these are all things that are absolutely vital. They've even helped out Galway uh, with properties in terms of offices and spaces for pop up shops around Christmas time and things like that. So. You're hoping that, that these sort of guys have the best interest of the club at heart. And people do say that it's, it's oh, you're looking at businesses coming in to make a profit off the League of Ireland. That's not even that's not even possible, isn't it, for any business to come in and make a profit off a League of Ireland club. So, yeah, yeah, you're hoping. Because the side like Galway, especially now, back into a full-time model, we need the sides like Galway back in the Premier Division, don't we? You know, whether that be for an extra team of reach out in the, the West of Ireland, uh, their attendance again this year, like many have clubs have been great. Just the history of Galway as well, you know, you'd like to see th- th- this this decision be made. Um, be made for, for the right reasons. There's obviously pros and cons to having a fan-based club. Um, but yeah, this would definitely uh, secure the, the, the short-term future and, and definitely, hopefully, you'd like to think, with secure um, a, a sustainable promotion push this season. And Nathan, when you look at Bowes, who are also have that model as well, I'm fairly sure that they would like to, as as we discussed, eight years without a trophy, but always kind of knocking on the door there. I'm sure they would love to have that little bit of a, a financial boost. Uh, they might snap it off quicker than the, than the Galway supporters would at the moment, would they? <laughs> Yeah, 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 it is. Like, we've seen it up in the country, and you know, even Cork City as well, like you mentioned, mate, they've got off to an excellent start to the first division season, but you know, not that long ago, this is a Cork side that was winning leagues and winning cups, and while I do think that the, the, the League of Ireland should be very community-based, and these clubs, we've said a lot of times here, right, that they, they should be hubs of the community, especially when you're looking at Drotted and Dundalk, that, you know, it's it's their, uh, one club town, it should be the focal point, but 
as well some some of the decision making processes in in the fan owned clubs can be damning as well to the long term future yeah Graham uh, I suppose why do you think that there is a little bit more interest in League of Ireland clubs now is it because I suppose a bit like the Dundalk project they see that there's a, a gateway to Europe and, and, and a possibility of maybe developing players getting them in shop windows maybe this is there's some sort of financial gain that could possibly be there uh, and no one kind of has tapped properly into it although you can see now the likes of Shamrock Rovers uh, doing that no, I think you're both. I think you're right on both accounts. I think there's a way of getting into Europe where the Europa Conference is giving you guarantees that you qualify for Champions League. You drop down, you drop down, and then you make a ray cloud during the summer. Um, but I said, I said on another thing I was talking on about um, the ladder Pats, the the centre back. I forget what's the yeah, Banque. The Banque, sorry, James Banque. I said at the time that. Pats have probably made more of him than they did when they won the league. So then you're like, well, what, what, what's your priority? You know, what's your priority is, of course you want to win and everyone, and all the fans want to win. And I'm, listen, as a player, no, no one wants to win as much as me. Like, I, I like, but or, you know, every player is the same. You want to win. You want to be part of the winning team. You want the fans want to enjoy it. But if you're selling a player a year for. 250 grand or 300 grand or 400 grand if you're selling them players you're making more money than you would if you if you were successful every season so then you're right in both counts is that but if you're putting younger players in and they're really high level and they're going to get moves they're, they're going to bring you to success at some stage and then all of a sudden you might sell them but during that time you might qualify for Europe so all of it is building towards more financial gain for your club. And I think when Galway look, and we played against Galway in the 14s last year in the cup final um, in the National League, and they beat us 2-0. Um, they've got some wonderful players coming through their academy. And if they build up their academy and build up their ground and build up their fan base, they're the only team over there mm-hmm. in Galway. You have the pickings of everybody. So they're gonna, someone's going to come through that will go and make them make the club money, and then they can reinvest it. So again, we you look and go other clubs and go. We Gavin Bazunu Gavin Bazunu goes for X amount of money. We now have a new indoor hall, fully astroed and a gym built. So we you can do the next. Now Galway are looking to do that. Bowes have a have a agreement with DCU where they're building up their facility and it's great. And that's why I'd love the James Bank with money or Pat's to be able to go. Do you know what we we'll build? an Astro and a training ground in Inchicore for air players so that we can produce more. So everybody's trying to produce their own, but the money that they're getting from it then can get reinvested into the club. Now, it doesn't have to be all of it, but the majority of it goes, right, let's build the next player up. And you're going to get good groups, you're going to get bad groups. That's the way it goes. But as long as they're able to get a chance to play, they will go, like, you know. And that's where the clubs failed in years before, that the money went straight back into paying players and, and whoever else. Uh, there was no infrastructure honestly, being built. Listen, hand up, Roy. I, I was a benefit of that. I played them on the worst grounds in, in Ireland for Drogheda. We were successful every year. Oh, yeah, but as a player, you're going to take the money because that's, no, that's, we were, that's, we were, that's we were your promised, job. We were promised a stadium. That's the reason we went. We were promised a stadium. So when Drogheda came to sign me, I was, we were after winning two FAI Cups and a League Cup with Longford. We were in Europe. The Satanta just came. 
Long Jota came in to sign me, he offered me full time football and says, We're building a new stadium. And I was like, Right, this is for me. Stadium never came. I'm I'm embarrassed that it didn't come. But then my question is, and I and I and I see this with Stephen as well, Stephen Kenny, they were all at Dundalk on an unparalleled success at Dundalk, like five league titles in six years, FA Cups, European runs, qualification. The ground was still is still one of the worst in Ireland. Yeah. We still don't have a facility that can look after kids. So where did that where did that finances go? And all the while, and this isn't me with me rovers hat on, because I probably wasn't at rovers at the time. The point in that rovers going, where did, what are you doing? And they're like, they're building their academy. So they couldn't invest in the team. But now it's and that's the bit that I think people forget. And even that's not me being controversial about Stephen, because I heard Stephen saying, Stephen Kenny saying, Oh, we we need to build up facilities. He had a chance to build facilities as well. Yeah, you know what I mean. And he was in charge, and he wasn't willing to go. Well, I'll take a hit. Yeah, for, yeah, for a yeah. year. It's know? easier. It's easier said than done, isn't it? I suppose. Exactly. Uh, I probably wonder the things that Rovers had was, I suppose, they were homeless for a long time, and they needed to look. Uh, at, at a, a different way where they needed to establish themselves a home they needed to establish themselves a base they needed to establish themselves a fan base which Tala has, has like they had a fan base but it, it, it was lost and they needed yeah. to find somewhere to find a home so maybe they were pushed into that and that was a brilliant thing and off the back of what you're saying then the investment from you know different people started to come into the club and, and, and it's, it's going well so far but again with Shamrock Rovers, if Shamrock Rovers aren't making money, all of a sudden you'll find Shamrock Rovers in a little bit of trouble because you do have to make sure that it's it's a fo- it's a football club, but you know a football clubs, they still have to be making money. You can't be losing money, so yeah. it's a business. Yeah, and that's why we have to produce players, and, and Stephen then Stephen has to try and bring success to the club as the manager, like which he has done. So, that, again, there's always... In any high high level sport, there's always pressure, but that's one of the reasons you do it because pressure is what sharpens you. Yeah, makes you make decisions because you know well, I have to make the right one here because this, financially this is going to help the club. So you're right, yeah. But like, I'd love to see Galway get investment. I'd love to see them build an academy up and, and for all the kids over there. I'd love Cork the same. I, I know there you have invested into it. I'd love us to have all these hubs and centres around the country that. Like because it's the only way we're gonna produce, and and people, I sometimes get accused of being a little bit too into it, or too too much of a say in it, or too opinionated on it. But how do you think we're gonna get to a Euros? How are, how do you think we're gonna qualify for a World Cup? Like, do you think do you think where do you think it starts? Like, you know what I mean? Where that's the bit I'm going. We have to go through this process to start this. Yeah. And if you do you feel go, do you feel the signs are there though? Because if you look at the the interest that's coming from outside of England, if you want to put it that way, at mainland Europe, maybe Brexit has helped us hugely here. It sort of opened up the possibilities where our players now may go away, as you see, over to uh, Italy yeah, yeah. and Spain. They learn yeah, a different yeah. type of football, and you know it might benefit us all. I was looking at a, a, a stat here. It's looking at the recent FAI men's underage squads from under twenty one. 19s, 17s, 15s in total. 79% of the 78 players selected grew up in Ireland. Of the 78 players, 55% are currently playing in the League of Ireland. 
it it shows you that there, the the way the league has been laid out with the underage football and the clubs having to take responsibility that it is starting already to benefit. Yeah, and again, but like, so how do we? We we can't go right. That's we've we've got to that point where they're, they're staying here. They're, they're a little bit longer. They're a bit more mature before they get these opportunities, so that they might be able to handle it. So we've we've got that bit. What's next? Yeah, so that's the bit I'm always thinking of. Well, what's next for them? How can we get them playing in in stadiums at the weekend? How can we get them playing against? I was talking to even Jack Bourne about this yesterday, and and it's like, how do we get our 17 year olds? become the best 19 year olds but they have to play against all the players they have to play a mix that they're playing that's a challenge for them some of the most some of the best game or the some of the best learning moments i had was playing against older experienced players when i was 17 playing in the reserves that you go i didn't know i didn't know you could do that in football yeah. where they bend their runs they dark their runs they hold me off they do all of this and then i go to the coach and go what's he doing and the, and then You'd have that conversation, and I go, "How do I stop it?" So that, that, but that was me learning on the job. What these kids are probably need that little bit of a challenge, where the, you know, a twenty ones league or a twenty like. So what's next? But again, to have these, I always go back to it to to, to bring them on from where you're saying that that's what's happening, where we've we've x amount of players here to bring them on. Then we need more facilities for them and more training hours for them. So how do we increase the training hours? How do we get aware our 70 or 16 year olds are training every morning yeah. and they're on and they're able to go to school in the evening and they're on a hundred quid a week and we're able to say, Do you know what, we can match any team's hours in Europe for training. Well, this is something I kind of say, just that you took it off that's the, the top of my tongue. That's the bit that's the next level. Right? We've seen over in England where we would have lads being sent across the water. They'd be going over in trials. And then when they tried to train and, and compete with the players over there, those players over there are 20 hours a week they're getting in training in, where our lads are struggling to make 10. Yeah. And, and that's at best you know doing their own work and all so they're already losing when they're going across so it's only the very few which we have seen that are making it so how can we get our players up to that kind of a level and I suppose exactly what you're saying yeah. uh, investment come, this comes from the Galway conversation investment yeah. is the, is the big the thing players, isn't it? Like, and turn around and have a pool and go right well we've provided a facility each club gets a grant but the grant has to go to 16, 17, 18 year olds that you feel should train full time yeah. There you go. But yeah. now, where do you put them? So, yeah. just... And this is where they, they, uh, in, in, we looked at this before at a third tier in, in the League of yeah. Ireland yeah, that yeah. opens up to other counties around the the, the country. Like, yeah. obviously, you, you, you see the likes of Kerry and stuff like that. There's good footballers in these places. They need something to be able to look up at and, and be a focal point there. Yeah, look how big Kildare's got yeah, because Kildare. it's obviously yeah. the overspill. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, I, the more people we get playing, but but we also have to... Like, I love the fact that we want to encourage everybody to play, and, and, I, and I think that's massive in that. There's a big encouragement, big uplift. We're all more interested in the game. But eventually it comes to the point when when the elite, when the, the top players want to be top players, they have to play against each other. And there has to be that, not rootlessness, but you go, right, what? Because... What do you want from this? And we, we're trying... It's like 
it's like we've rolled it back a little bit to go, let, let's have a one-size-fits-all approach here. And sometimes that's not the way it is. And and, and I don't mean that, because like, I, I, I want to have people playing football. I want to that. But like they roll back, when they roll back the start of the 14s league, even the, the rules they brought in now as well, that just makes it difficult to, you're constantly looking at your clock, watching the games. There's all this type of stuff. And it's like, Right, well, are, are you looking for a football for all approach? Which, again, if you sign up to be, if you're with a community team and you're this and that and everybody plays great and then you're with, a, a, I don't even use the word elite, but you're with a national league team and we're, we're driving them to be performance-based. So I'm not looking, see this winner mentality, that's not for me, performance mentality. How do I get them to perform at the maximum all the time? Consistently, yeah. Consistently. And, but the other team has to come and do that and, and we're playing some games where they're really competitive and other games that like it's not and you're like right how do we get away they're constantly competitive in a good way not in a just right we're gonna fight you out today and second ball stuff but how are we playing against each other properly where and we need to get to the point where our 16 year olds are able to train every day and be full time and then go into games knowing i'm here to perform and there's yeah. nothing wrong with having that little bit of pressure at 16 to go, I need to perform because I'm training every day, so I should perform, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. And, of course, they get confidence off the back of that, so then they can yeah, perform. Exactly. And again, I'm not trying to be too cut. I'm not, I don't want to sound cutthroat here. I'm not. I'm just saying that eventually it, it's a weird thing with footballers because when you're trying to get to the top, it's, it's a climb. And some, some people aren't able for that climb. And some people might want to go a different direction with it and we have to be able to accommodate all of that but at the end of the day it's still that climb and whoever wants to get there hook up by crook they're gonna try and get there and, and it's their job to help them help them all yeah that's my my look at it like you know yeah 100 uh nathan we'll move on quickly to the ireland setup um they're playing belgium and lithuania this week uh what did you make of the squad um, I suppose with these friendly games where we're sort of building up to to the next um, the European Championship qualifiers and, and probably more soon the, the Nations League I suppose with the Belgian game on the Saturday is a big one isn't it uh, 5 o'clock kick off at the Aviva expected to be a good crowd there there's been a lot made I suppose just before I jump into the Ireland squad of the Belgium squad you know like I said no De Bruyne Lukaku uh, Hazard some, you know, big name players um, but look they still have to, like Yori Tillemans an excellent player uh, Rigi's in there, uh, then Donker, Venekan, uh, uh, a guy who's seen him play for Club Rouge, and time he's seen him play, he's been absolutely excellent. Um, even Torgan Hazard as well, that, that's in the Benton squad, has been brilliant at Dortmund. So, I suppose that in a little weird way, that goes back to the point you were making previously about the, uh, the, the the love and the time that goes into the coaching over in these European countries, you know, like the Belgians, like the Hollands. That, we're looking at what's supposed to be a, a B team or second string Belgium side, and you're shocked full of talent there, which there's a, quite a handful of them playing in the, the top European leagues. So, yeah, I really would say a lot. Um, I think if you're looking for more, if you're looking at the Belgian game, you're more just looking for a continue of the the evolution of what we've seen. Because, like, you know, it's. We've unbeaten, I think, the last six games, coming off a uh, 3-0 win against Luxembourg, a 0 draw against Portugal, and a 4-0 win against Qatar, albeit in a friendly. So, 
I think it's time now that uh, the, the, these defeats to Luxembourg and Finland and draw to Azerbaijan keep coming up and I think it's time to put them in the rearview mirror because under Stephen Kenny, I don't know about you Graham actually, I'd like to get your opinion on this one, I think he was well justified to get um, a contract extension until the, uh, the end of the 2024 campaign. Um, yeah, like I said here, I thought I thought they steadily improved. I, I was worried at the start. I thought they were very open. I, one of the things, like um, two things, can't like so just because we wanted to play an open play style of football on the ball didn't mean we had to be defensively naive or out. I don't think they're mutually exclusive. Like so, that was one of the comments I made earlier. Of course, I'm happy that we're playing better football than than pre than people said previously. But I also thought we were very open, and I and I and I thought that's the bit that's I've seen an improvement in because I I we're playing good football still, but I think defensively we look a little bit more solid. I think we're getting more numbers back. I think we're defending centrally a lot more. And um, I was worried about how open our midfield were when we were playing with them with a three-four-three, and I thought I don't know if we have the legs from our midfield to to cover that area in front of the back three, and I think. They were problems that it looks like they've rectified. So, yeah, like I, I looked at it a couple of ways with Steve, and I thought, well, you know, no one else is going to take him in terms of no no big club in the UK is going to come in and take Stephen and say, right, well, you know, so there was there probably wasn't a risk in losing them. So that's that's why they, they were able to sit and wait and go right, we make the decision. But that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve his, his new contract. I think he's I think he's done a really really good job. I think what he's done is he's brought a spirit and a togetherness back to the camp that and, and and a connection with the fans that has probably been missing as well. And I and, and that's where you go right. Well, he's managed to do all that in in the especially in the last six months. An interesting one about Belgium, if I have time to tell this. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine was over there on a coaching course where and um, the Belgium FA were doing it with Anderlecht, and and Anderlecht and. And the Belgian, the head of the Belgian FA came out and was talking about Martinez and, and company. And basically, the, the academy director at Andelec turned around and said to, to, I'd said to Vincent Company, we, we'll tell him when our players are ready to step up. And Vincent Company says, yeah, yeah, he will. But then the Belgian FA are also involved in it and they're picking the player that they want to play. So they're going... This lad's need was it was a midfielder that I played at Wembley. And he came, I think he played ahead of Kevin De Bruyne. But he they're lining him up for the next World Cup and the next championship. So Anderlecht Academy director is working with the Belgium FA, telling them, telling the Belgian FA, the Belgium FA is telling them he needs to play. He needs to play for the club. So they're going to company and going, you need to get this boy minutes, he's gonna play. So you want to see is he's able to be the replacement for Kevin. Then what happens is Anderlecht ring and speak to the Belgium FA and say he needs to play for you as well to see what he's able. So they played him in the three games building up to this game at Wembley for against England. And then lo and behold, he plays at Wembley against England. But that's been lined up between the two academies and the FA to go play him and we'll play him as an international and see, see in five years' time is he able to replace Kevin. And to me, I'm like, I'm looking going, the, F, the FAI would never dream of speaking to our clubs like that or having that relationship with them to go, right, we're lining him up for four years' time to be, you know, 2024 or the 2028 or whatever. 
what can we do to help them get there? What do you need us to do? I'll tell you what, we'll put them in this squad, but that relationship isn't there. And you're thinking, this is people, this is an academy director dictating to Vincent Company, playing him for the next three games because he's going to play for Belgium. So he's giving them minutes in games. Yeah. But Vincent Company isn't under pressure then. To, he is under pressure to win football matches, but he also knows I have, I have to bring kids through because the bigger picture here is Belgium. And I was flabbergasted at this. How, yeah, well, I'm kind of flabbergasted as well because how do you get that? How do you get to that point? Uh, that's 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 nearly sounds like uh, decades because Belgium were struggling for so long that they obviously took a, a whole different point of view and said, listen, we're going to run with this. It didn't happen overnight, obviously. No. Um, so uh, if you're looking at Ireland doing that, it, it's it's going to take time, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah like, and again, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't even... Like I wouldn't even say the FA do it with England, but mm. the FA have really improved. The FA actually went to the academies and says, we'll invest and we'll improve all your academies. So now, like you said, Irish lads going over, you're not walking into lads that were training two nights a week and you were training two nights a week. These are in the door constantly. And then we're going over. But they, they reinvested in that. That was, a, like, that was a 10-year investment. That was a plan from the FA to go to these academies and says we'll help you we'll invest but the players now haven't the players now go away with England a lot more at younger levels to get that identity of playing for England so when they're now coming through to play for England they feel like we've been around this a long time this is us and they're able to embrace it and uh, listen I'd love us to get in terms of some sort of model that allows us to do that with our kids but again we need to build Air, air bit up first and then the FAI need to help as well then yeah 100% and, and probably the government as well because that's, yeah, where, that's where the money needs to come yeah. through and as you said before there's uh, there's jobs in football so it would be a, a, an investment rather than just throwing money into a big dark hole Anthony Barry Graham left Ireland uh, yeah. a lot of good things said about him uh, we've got John Eustace who is going to come in now uh, to replace him uh, for someone like Anthony in the background, how much of a loss does it be to a, a group when someone like that comes in, makes an impression, and then steps out nearly as quick as he's in? Yeah, I think I, I, that was the one worry for me. Was I, I worked with Steve, and he was the manager of Shamrock Rovers when I was there in, in 2012, and, and he, he, he wouldn't be a coach. He'd be more of a, a, a man manager and, and, and would be involved in what he thinks would be the right way to play, but was always about how we play. It was up to the coach he was working with to implement that. So he followed what he'd like in his head to do, but it was always the coach that was on the pitch training. So for Anthony, when I seen the development of Ireland in the last year, I knew a lot of the work was coming from Anthony being on the training ground with them, Anthony Barry. So, um, but that's where I feel it's a big loss. Now, I know I've heard a few things about John Eustace, that he's a big voice and, and, and he's very demanding. So um, he's coming in to fill that mantle. But like you said, there's a feel-good factor around that at the moment. So you're hoping that the lads take him. Listen, it's the third, it's the third manager or assistant manager or coach in the last yeah. four year, or three years at this stage. So I think it's just something that players, even though it'll be a loss, um, I think it's just some players at the time then just go and get on with because as long as like you said the messages are the same coming from the manager through his assistant that's all that matters really then you know but I, I um, 
it's a shame that he's gone, you know, and it's a shame that, like you said, I think that's the knock-on effect of maybe what Nathan had touched on about um, maybe not getting Stephen signed up a little bit earlier to then allow him to go to Anthony and get his staff lined up a bit earlier. So, for me, that would be the negative of that in terms of not rushing it through or not pushing it as early as they should because then it gives that chance for Anthony to be um, poached away to Belgium. Yeah, um, I suppose if he's going to go anywhere, go to the, the number one ranked team in the world. It's not a bad place to go for him. So. It's pedigree though, doesn't it? Like, that's you know. it. That's exactly it. Uh, Nathan, we'll move on from the Ireland thing because we'll talk more about the Ireland games uh, as we see them next week. League of Ireland, a lot of the clubs again this week, Nathan, have put out statements about fan behaviour. Um, where do where do League of Ireland clubs go? How do they stamp out this before this comes a real problem? I know, it's a shame we even to talk about it, isn't it? Because the, the, the league has, there's been a lot of positives coming out. We said it, you know, with attendance and standard of football, albeit a couple of uh, iffy defensive moments here and there. Um, yeah, it's a tough one to, to build up, isn't it? Because the obvious choice is, you know, improve guard presence at these games or improve stewarding. But unfortunately, these, these things just cost money that a lot of clubs just don't have at their availability. I said it, said it to you, Roy, on and off camera. There's, there has to be a little way of self-policing within the right manner now, of course. No, nothing, you know, trying to incite any violence. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the one thing that if, if you're a lifelong League of Ireland fan, that this is something that you don't want to see your, your league get a reputation for. Because while we're seeing great attendance now, this this stigma is, is going to have a, a long-lasting effect, especially with younger fans and families coming down. You know, it's going to make the, the league less attractive if they're, they're going to be having any sort of, like even you, you yourself, Roy, with, with young kids, you know, it's, if you have any inkling that you're going to go to a local game and there's going to be trouble and you could be putting your kids in danger, you're not going to bring them down and it, it's going to be a long last and knock-on effect. So, yeah, look, why we can't say policing and stewarding in particular uh, needs to be improved on, there has, there has to be self-policing. If, you, if you're a League of Oil fan listening to this now and you see and you know if it's whether it be racist, homophobic behaviour or just general idiocy with you know flares missiles getting thrown on just try to stamp it out yourself it's it's for the betterment of the clubs that, that you're supporting and the betterment of the league as a whole yeah graham what's your thoughts on it because it is it is something that's just creeping in and and as you said uh, we had stephen henderson on a couple of weeks ago he was talking about how the league promote the the, uh, the fai promote the league with flares and you see that in all the videos and all and then they're asking not to have flares and so you you can't have yeah, it one way and, and, and another way yeah so how do they how do they police this how do they get people um, on side again they're cost like they're costing the club money and, and then fans are strange in that like they can be the lifeblood of the club and they can be brilliant and, and then on one hand and then on the other hand you're thinking you're taking away so much from the club you're actually meant to love here because they need extra police and they need extra stewards and then you'll complain that they didn't pay extra money to keep a player that you know left at the end of the year or why didn't we go and get him and you're like well because we had to pay money out for extra stewards because you were kept running on the pitch and um, I don't think any fan, and I've been very vocal about this, I don't think anybody should be on the pitch that shouldn't be on the pitch. Like, yeah. I just don't. I think it's, for some reason, it's like, I wouldn't imagine walking into someone's office. Like, like this is their place of work. This is the player's place of work. Like, this is where they go. To, this is what they've worked all week to play on. 
And then you just walk on thinking, oh, no, no, like, it wouldn't happen. And then you'd have, like, imagine me walking into your thing and pushing over your mic. You'd be like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, there's no, and it's like all common sense goes out the window because they're like, oh, no, we want to look a certain way. And I think this, I think that needs to change. Is that It's not a, not a good thing, but how do you stop it? I genuinely don't know. I, I, it's one of the one things I was thinking about the other day going, you do need more stewards. You need more deterrence. That's the biggest thing. But if you come out and say, right, we're fine, and then you go, right, like, or how you spot them on camera and you go after them and you say, right, well, we've been fine, but we're going to get, we're, we're going to issue you fine so you can help pay it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, but a- I genuinely struggle with it because I don't know what the obsession is with running on the football pitches. You're here to watch the game. Yeah. You know? And again, I was looking, there's, there's loads of games, but, there was a game, a Derry City game the other day where there was a corner kick being taken and one of the fans threw a bottle on at, at uh, I can't remember who Derry were playing, but probably St. Pat's actually, oh, sorry. And uh, the stewards, the, the video showed the stewards just looked at the bottle coming down, looked at it and, and, and didn't do anything. And you're kind of thinking, okay, so they're not, they're not even discouraging it. So you need yeah. to discourage it. But in fairness, there was a lot of people in the crowd who were discouraging it. So yeah. maybe that's the self-police you're talking about. Yeah, people need I, to... I, I've been at I, I was in the South Stand uh, for a game for Rovers when the, the night we won the league. And the, the lad threw a flare out. And I think he just threw it because it was coming to the end. And it, and it ended up going underneath the fella's seat. And the fellas, the fella who threw it, the, the, the fans marched him out. Yeah. Fans went not having that here, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. thought fair play. And then we should, like again, couldn't have done it, but that's the bit that you don't see, and that's not me. Like every fan, uh, 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 like there's a there's element of every fan group, not just um, Rovers, Pats, there. Does every fan group that the pictures in Dundalk are draw it were disgraceful? Like you know, they mm. should have gone out. Like it allowed Derby live on RTE, and then you get this. Like it just yeah. shouldn't happen. Like. And I don't know when that game got like that because I played in loads of them and it was never got like that, you know. Is it, so, is it because like we're getting increased attendances now? Is it a whole new different type of fan that's coming in now and where you've always had that loyal kind of supporter who's been with the club for years and years? Are these maybe not those yeah, pl- those fans and they're, and they're new and, and, and they have this preconceived idea of what it's like? And they've probably been bottled up for two years where they haven't got the goal yeah. much games and there's this adrenaline rush that they just don't know what how to deal with it. Yeah, and it just yeah. comes over them. And that's the bit that I'm, I'm trying to understand the behaviour and then go, right, how do we stop it? But I, I'm, I'm unsure how to deal with it because other than more stewards are putting, and you don't want to go back to putting fencing people in either. So no, no. But I, I don't know how to I, I it's one I struggle with because it's going to cost money at some yeah. stage. It's going to cost you. Like in fairness to the Bowles, Rovers, Derby, up in Talla, there was extra stewards on that night. There was extra policing. And even though there was flares, the flares didn't go on the pitch. They went on to the side of the pitch and everything was done. They were, they were brought in and brought out and there was no issue. So, But again, it took a lot of manpower, right? Yeah. Eight and a half thousand people, and that's yeah. the issue is that people probably don't spend on it. 
Well, it may have to come down to uh, a few bands. Could even go down to lifetime bands just to send a message across, unfortunately. But something has to happen because we don't want to get in our control. Okay, Nathan, uh, we're going to finish it off. You have a, a, a fan's question that you got sent in. So, uh, yeah. shoot, throw it in yeah. there. It's our Monday parents, I think. Yeah, it, it's the same three names every week, <laughs> and it actually is. It's uh, it's uh, Aaron Nesbitt. I think Aaron sent in a question last week or the week before as well. Good so I, I, I'm getting to a stage. The well is dry. I'm just badgering these people. <laughs> uh, so for your pleasure, Aaron, keep them coming, mate, and anyone else keep them coming. Uh, get the big kick off on social media. Um, yeah, send them in because we are desperate. <laughs> um, so Aaron said, "There's rumours of Ian Morris attracting interests from England." How much of a disaster would that be for Waterford to lose them? Um, yeah, I think it'd be. I, I, I think they started the season really well. They've looked really strong. I think he steadied the club, not just the team. I think he steadied the club and give them a, a bit of calmness because I think they've just been so erratic for the last probably eighteen months, and I don't think there's as much noise in Waterford as there was probably. Yeah. Obviously, John Sheridan, Kevin Sheedy, and then. Um, the la well the Canadian England Londoner yeah Bertram um I don't think there's as much noise out on this year so I do think it'd be a bit of a I do think it'd be a big loss for them yeah I think he's he seems like he's well regarded as a coach and but as a person as well and that's the biggest thing that he seems to be steady away so I do think it'd be a big loss for Waterford because there's not that many um coaches available out there that would go in and do what he's done in terms of getting promoted with shells twice so he obviously knows the league well too yeah, 100% um, I'm going to leave it there because we've uh, we've ran over time uh, a good bit there we had a good old chat with Graham so that's the most important part Uh Thanks very much, everyone, for watching. Well, I, I, the, the, the brothers like to chat as well, so it's it's definitely Alan. in it, yeah, it's just definitely in the family. <laughs> um, okay, so we'll uh, anyone who's listening, uh, don't forget we're on YouTube, and of course, if you're watching on YouTube, you can listen on the move. Uh, we're on all of the podcast providers as well. Graham, Nathan, thanks very much. Pleasure, lads. Thanks. <laughs>